In response to my request last week to learn what you know now that you wished you knew about horses a long time ago, listener Erin from New York emailed to say she wished she knew how to listen to her horse. Erin wrote that she thought many of her frustrations and roadblocks were linked to her not understanding what her horse was telling her. Erin made the decision to begin dressage training with her horse, Penny. Hi, and welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses. I'm your host, John Hare. You found the safe place to be horse crazy. I'd like to tell you that dressage has always fascinated me, but in reality, it has always mystified me. I don't know, maybe even baffled is a better word. Aaron's email got me to thinking, and I looked up Western dressage on the Google machine and came across Jennifer Coleman, who is a trainer, instructor, clinician, and on the competition committee for the Western Dressage Association of America. After a brief email, we connected by phone. It didn't take long to feel Jennifer's passion for horses and dressage. And when I got on a dressage horse, and I felt the way that their body moved, I went, oh, that's what I've been looking for. And even though I wasn't flying through the air, I still had that same rush, that same feeling of power underneath me. And it, it was just, it, once you get to it, man, it's, it's addicting. You have to be able to feel each other. That the horse has to be able to feel what you're doing and you have to be able to feel what the horse is doing. And mm-hmm. so often people think of contact as, well, the horse can hear me. So it's good. Right. That's not contact. That That's, I don't know what that is. We had a great conversation on not only Western dressage, but horsemanship in general. Jennifer has a great philosophy and she explains her principles well. Sit back, unless you're on your horse, then sit up and enjoy my conversation with Jennifer Coleman on the Woe Podcast. Hi, Jennifer. Welcome to the Woe Podcast. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. We're here talking about Western Dressage, and you're in Minnesota and part of the Western Dressage Association of America. Can you give us a little bit about your background? Sure, absolutely. Um, well, I, I've been into horsemanship for as long as I can remember. It's always been a very large passion of mine, as I'm sure it has been for you and most of your listeners. I, uh, I actually started out uh, wanting to get into show jumping. That was my big dream when I was a child. And uh, I really got into that quite a bit. As the jumps started getting higher, I, I I just lost interest in it. I guess it just never really felt the way that I thought it would feel. And and then I got on a dressage horse and it completely changed uh, my life uh, completely. In what way? It, it just, it felt so different, you know? And, and I guess... When I was a little girl and I would watch show jumping, I would watch horses jumping five and a half foot fences, and I would think about how much of a thrill it would feel like, what the horse would feel like underneath me, mm-hmm. and the feeling of flying through the air. Right. And and you know, as the jumps got bigger, it just didn't, I just didn't feel that way. Um, I mean, I was flying through the air, <laughs> and I, I but it just wasn't very fun. You know, it, it wasn't the thrill that I thought it would be. So it wasn't that you were afraid, it was that it just wasn't as exhilarating as you thought it might exactly. be? Exactly. Oh. Yeah, it was just kind of like, oh, that that's it? Okay. You know? <laughs> uh, and I kept thinking that as the jumps got bigger that, you know, I would start to feel something. And I, wa- I watched a lot of my friends that were really into show jumping have a really good time. And I'm like, I, I don't get this. You know, it's just not, it's not doing it for me. And when I got on a dressage horse... And I felt the way that their body moved. I went, oh, that's what I've been looking for. And even though I wasn't flying through the air, I still had that same rush, that same feeling of power underneath me. And it, it was just, it, once you get to it, man, it's, it's addicting. And it, was that because of the connection you were having with your horse? Yes. Yeah. It, it, was, it wasn't so wild and crazy and flying around it was just it was simpler but it was more powerful and how old were you at that time i was 15 so you just switched from jumping to dressage yeah i just dove in uh feet first you know i i just i just started going to all these clinics and 
and watching as much as I could. Uh, and I, I grew up in Chugiak, Alaska, which is a very uh-huh. small town, about thir- 13 miles out of Anchorage. And needless to say, the horse community up there is very different than it is um, down in the lower 48, right. uh, as we would call it. Um, there's just not as much access to good information and in, in good clinics as there is here. Um, but it's actually surprising how much there there is. I mean, you'd expect it to be almost nothing, but there there are clinicians that come up there. It's just not as common as it is here. And you just don't think of uh, Alaska as being horse country. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm in California, so we have alfalfa growing all over the place. I imagine the the alfalfa season in Alaska is pretty short. Uh, there is no alfalfa season. <laughs> That's what I meant. <laughs> there is uh, winter Tuesday. and there's construction. <laughs> That's it. Uh, yeah, there there there's a surprising amount of really good horse people up there, and so I. I just attached myself to to anybody that I could to get some good information. And, you know, I came from a family where horses were a really big luxury. And I was not one of those kids that it was, you know, daddy, I want a pony. And I, and I got one. I mean, I, I milked my fair share of stalls, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and I used to like lessen scavenge. I would, I would just make sure that I was at the barn riding while other kids that could afford it could get their lessons. And I would just listen in and I'd take notes. And, you know, I mean, I was like, I looked like a little reporter out there (laughs) jotting down everything that I could. So, I I mean, I had to work a lot to get the information, but I mean, it, it was definitely there. I just had to look a little harder. What was your horse at that time? Well, I still have him. Uh, he's very oh. old now, um, and his name is Zephyr, and I got him when he was a yearling. It was one of those uh, green horse, green rider things that you oh, should wow. never, ever do, but we were a good team, and, and he's nothing special. He's, uh, he's just my mutt. He's a quarter Tennessee walking horse, a quarter wow. Bashkir Curly, a 16th Arab, and the rest of it is Belgian, Pertron, and Mustang. Oh, my goodness. And that's what I had to work with. And I, I think that it was actually the, the best thing that could ever happen to me. I see a lot of kids, you know, that are, you know, they're better off and, and their parents can afford to buy them $10,000 horse that can do it all. And, you know, I, I really attribute a lot of my success to the fact that my horse wasn't quite that easy. I had to do it a lot myself. Um, and his gates were very confusing. It was very hard to get those pure gates out of him. And, you know, and I, we didn't go very far. Um, we made it to second level. I was pretty darn proud oh, of that. That's so, pretty good. Yeah. So once I got my hands on a horse that was more talented, then everything was way easier. <laughs> now, had you used uh, Zephyr for jumping? I did. I did. I started him uh, with jumping and... Uh, and then switched to dressage, and I, it, it was really, really good for him because he does struggle with his gates quite a lot. I mean, he's just not, he's not normal. Right. Yeah. And so. and how did you how did you start to develop those those gates? Well, that was quite a confusing process because um, I was told all sorts of different things, and I'm sure, as you know. In the horse world, if you ask 100 people the same question, you're going to get 200 different answers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I was told to punish him for doing his, what his little version of his running walk was, because it wasn't quite gated and it wasn't quite normal. I was, so uh-huh. I was told to punish him. I was told to encourage him, because then if I developed the gates, then it would be easier for me to distinguish between the two. I was told to quit, that I should just, (laughs) that he might make a real nice little trail horse, you know, Um, and then other people said that he was super talented and just go as far as I can go. So I tried everything and it really was kind of a crapshoot. 
okay, well, I'll try this method on Monday, and I'll try this method on Tuesday, and I'll try this method on Wednesday. Poor Zephyr, for goodness oh, sake. Oh, I felt so <laughs> bad for him. I still feel bad for him. I give him a hug every morning, like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, he really kind of got thrown on the altar of my learning. But he was such a good sport about it. <laughs> he, yeah, and I watch uh, a lot of my students. They still ride him. He's he's 25 years old. Um, he looks like he's 10. He he looks fantastic. Another one of those things that dressage I think is really good for is longevity. Um, oh really? Yeah. So oh, because, it, why is that? Well, why is it good? Because they use their their bodies so much more uh, efficiently. Uh-huh. You know, you know how they say when you're gonna lift something really heavy, you know, don't lift with your legs, lift with your back. Right. No, and then if you have good posture, that that will, you know, it, you you use your body more effectively, you know, and you strengthen your core muscles and such like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, it it reduces the wear and tear on their joints. You know, you'd expect a 25 year old horse to, you know, look like he's half dead, you know, a foot in a grave, right. you know. Um, but it, you know, his back is strong. He still goes to work every day. It, you know, he doesn't have to have a bunch of maintenance or anything he he looks wonderful and it's just because the work that's been done with him has been really thoughtfully done it's it's wow. and and that's that's really what dressage is about is the progressive athletic development of a horse it's it's like developing a a gymnast they're stronger hmm. they're they're the strongest smartest, most flexible versions of themselves that they can be. And that's why they last longer. How does one begin working with dressage? What, what's one of the first principles that you might learn if you go out? I'm going to go out on my, my horse tomorrow and mm-hmm. go for a ride. Well, I can tell you what I think. <laughs> okay. Um, That's why we're here. Yeah. Well, um, I think that um, it all starts with rhythm and relaxation, and and there there is something called the dressage training pyramid. I mean, you can Google it all over the place. You know, most dressage instructors use that as kind of like the major foundation for everything that they do. And okay. the very bottom of that training pyramid, the, the basis of everything, is rhythm and relaxation. And if you look at any discipline, English, Western, you know, barrel racing or jumping or chasing cows, whatever it's going to be, if your horse lacks the ability to move in a rhythmic way, you know, with pure gates, and if they lack the ability to have mental and physical relaxation, you're lucky if you can get on it. You know, if, if you've ever right. watched somebody at a mounting block going, I don't know if I get on that horse, buddy, you know, <laughs> and, and the horse is moving their feet sporadically and their eyes are crazy, you know, and their neck is really tight, you know, that person's in trouble. And, and even if they do manage to get on their horse and get something done, it's definitely not going to be good. Right. You know, and it's dangerous. And you watch the you know how this happens the the horse is all tense and stiff in their back and the, and that's what causes that pounding of the joints and and you know you think wow what the, what's that horse going to look like in 10 years right yeah it's just not good for him so but then when you want to develop that rhythm and balance and it's in the horse not necessarily the rider or is it in well, I imagine it's probably in both but then yeah. how do you work on how do you work on developing that? It's got to be on a kind of an individual basis, doesn't it? It totally does because it, it can be caused by so many different things. You know, it's like, well, what causes a horse to be spooky? Well, what causes a horse to not have confidence? You know, well, it might be lots of different things. Um, right. You know, so I, I kind of I, I break it down this way that the the rhythm, having proper rhythm creates relaxation and having a horse that's relaxed creates correct rhythm. So it's, it's that, it's that game of what came first, the chicken or the egg. And mm-hmm. if you put a bunch of dressage people in a room and ask them to decide which came first, the chicken or the egg, I mean, you, you can, you can wait it out for hours. <laughs> like that, that'll never be able to agree because in, in part, it does depend on the horse. So if you have a horse that's more introverted, that, that, 
you know, if you've ever seen those horses that just kind of get stuck or where they're scared, but they stand their ground, they look like they're so scared they can't do anything. So if you have a horse that's a little bit more introverted, the type that just freezes when they're afraid or stuck or nervous, and you sit there and you just pet them on the neck like, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay you'd be there all day. Right. You know, they are not going to calm down. You kind of just got to get their feet moving like, okay, buddy, let's just put one foot in front of the other. And once they start doing something, they start to calm down. If you have a horse that is more of an extrovert, um, you could try to develop rhythm like, okay, we'll put them on a lunge line and let's make them trot. You're going to be on that lunge line for four hours and they're still like <laughs> – so for them, kind of mentally calming down first – starts to develop more rhythm. So um, it, it, it doesn't really matter which way you go about it as long as your goal is to, okay, I got to focus on getting this horse relaxed and rhythmic. And, you know, there's so many resources for things like that. You know, if your horse is afraid of people or your horse is afraid of your, your equipment or your saddle or he's afraid of being tied or whatever, I mean, like there's your place that you start. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and um, all the time, I, I mean, as, as a horse trainer, I get phone calls. My, my phone rings all the time <laughs> with these <laughs> with problems. And, you know, people want me to fix their horses, say a bucking problem. Their horse bucked them off in the middle of a field. And then they'll tell me the whole story about what the weather was like that day and what they were doing and what they were working on. And the end of the story is the horse got, you know, bucked him off. Right. They start with breakfast. I I woke up kind of in a crappy mood. They they kind of give a lot of things that really aren't that relevant. Exactly. And I'll ask them a question like, well, well, how does your horse saddle? And they'll they'll look at me like, why? You know, he saddles fine. So, so you're saying that you can go walk out into a pasture, your horse puts his nose in the halter, you can lead him to the barn without closing your fingers on the rope. You can put the rope down on the ground, put a saddle on his back, tighten it up without picking up the rope. And they go, no. Heck no. (laughs) And it's like, hmm, well, there's your problem, you know, because like, that confidence, that rhythm and relaxation, I'm not just talking about when you get on your horse and you start trotting away. That rhythm and the relaxation, that starts right away from the moment that your horse sees you. If your horse sees you and goes, oh, not today, and they run around with their tail up in the air and bolting away from you, well, you know, that's kind of where you start. That's the step one. That's the step one. All right. Yeah. Well, now let's go. Let's kind of move up the the pyramid because that fascinates me. Just give us a little kind of step by step of as you go up the pyramid, what you could expect from your dressage horse. Now, not a, a lot of us aren't going to get to the top of that pyramid, and it's kind of pointy up there. Maybe that's a <laughs> it's a <laughs> it's it's a long it's a long uh, steep hill. And we might not have time to get up there, but you know sure. we all have to strive for something. So let's kind of work our way up and see what happens. Sure. Now there are different variations. You know, of course, the dressage uh-huh. riders don't always agree on exactly oh, how it goes. But wait a minute. But this is my something. Thing. Something in horses that's not all the same universally? Well, that's kind of unusual. Shocker, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, but this is my take on it. Um, okay. okay. So we've discussed the rhythm and relaxation being at the bottom. Once, mm-hmm. So um, let's say, let's take you through like getting on a young horse for the first time. That would, I think, would be a good example of how the training pyramid works. Okay. okay so your horse is rhythmic in his movement. He's relaxed enough to allow you to put this saddle and and bridle on them and stand still at the mounting block. You put your foot in the stirrup and then, okay, buddy, we're on you. Give a little rub and everybody's calm. Now what? And the next step is lateral balance. Your ability to do a couple of different things. Um, Lateral balance to me means that you can take any of the horse's body parts, their nose or their neck or their feet or their shoulders, and move them from the left to the left or to the right independently. And and that the horse doesn't lose their balance. That the horse can bend through their body 
and bend is where the vertebrae in the horse's body are bent to the same degree. So when you see a horse bent around like a candy cane, you know, with their nose to the stirrup, that's right. bend, that's crooked. Got it. Yeah, so it would be like a banana, you know, like a perfect arc. Right. So if the bend is sharper at one end than the other, then it's not really a bend. It's Exactly. It's it, a crimp. It, it's a crimp. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Lateral balance is also your ability to affect the horse's movement from left to right. Can you turn left to right, you know, without falling over and the horse losing their balance to the inside or to the outside, you know, where you see horses kind of like popping their shoulder to the outside or leaning mm -hmm. to the inside. That to me would be kind of like that second stage, lateral okay. balance. Once you get past that, then it's about longitudinal balance. That's forward and backward. That's being able to stop your horse, being able to move forward when you ask them to, being able to lengthen stride, make transitions. Those are all longitudinal skills. That's the stuff that works from head to toe, moving. the. So we've moved the, the horse's body weight from side to side in the last level. Now we're kind of shifting it forward and back to give him more control with the longitudinal balance. Correct. And okay. once you have the horse balanced from left to right and forward to back, you start to develop what's called contact or connection. And it's a feeling that everything is just centered. That you're sitting on the very top of the horse's center of gravity that when you move, the horse moves underneath you, you should feel like a flock of birds. You know, you ever, you ever sit and you watch a flock of birds and there's a million of them up there and it's like, who's in charge here? Like right. one of them moves and all the rest of them move and they move so much as a unit that you can't even tell which one is the leader. Right. That to me is what happens at that stage. Everything starts to click. And some people define contact as like, like the actual pressure of touch on the horse's mouth with the rein. Mm -hmm. To me, contact means a type of connection where you have the clearest two-way communication possible. So like, have you ever tried to feel someone's pulse before? Uh-huh. Often. And, and if you, tr I kind of want to ask why. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm a fitness guy, you know, oh, okay. so I check my own pulse. <laughs> um, I don't go up to strangers and ask them, okay. hey, can I'm I check your pulse? Like, you people dying around you? Or what? <laughs> <laughs> so if you, if you push too hard, you can't feel it. And if you're not pushing hard enough, you can't feel it. There's like this perfect feel. Right. Where they can, like, I can, I've, you know how they say, like, you're not supposed to feel someone's pulse with your thumb because you have, your thumb has its own pulse. Has a pulse. Yeah. Right. And, it, yeah, it's kind of like you, you have to be able to feel each other. That the horse has to be able to feel what you're doing and you have to be able to feel what the horse is doing. And mm -hmm. so often people think of contact is, well, the horse can hear me, so it's good. Right. That's not contact that that's, I don't know what that is, but that you ever get the feeling like when you're talking to someone that they're talking at you and not with you. Right. That's where contact can kind of get a little wrong. And, you know, people don't stop to think, you know, these poor animals, they can't talk. They, right. they have very limited ways to communicate with us. And we are such a vocal species that you know, these poor animals, they just have no defense. And when you don't listen to them, when they whisper, they are going to yell. And that's when they start bucking. That's when they start rearing. You know, it's like they can't tell you that their saddle doesn't fit or that they don't right. like your hands. <laughs> so. <laughs> or they've had just about enough of that spur in the side. Oh, yeah. Yep. And then, oh, what? He dumped me. He bucked yeah. me off for no reason. <laughs> in, in dressage. There is a movement um, called the free walk 
um, and uh, movement also in the trot where the horse should stretch downward and forward towards the bit as the rein is being lengthened. And what that does is it proves beyond all doubt that the horse is seeking you as much as you are seeking the horse. If you see people that have created kind of like a false position, you know, where they're just kind of like trying to tuck their horse's nose in or they're using the tie downs and the martingales and the draw reins and all that business. Uh-huh. When, they, right. when the rider releases the reins, the horse doesn't dare move their head for fear of what will happen to them if they do. We, we see it all the time. I mean, go to a horse show. I mean, it's, it's right. downright sadistic. It's, it's medieval. In a dressage horse, when you release that rein, they should go, oh, where's, my, where's your hands? Where'd you go? Where'd you go? You know, and, the, and they'll follow you down. Their back raises up to, to take up that space, to take up that, that emptiness so that they can still feel you. It's almost like having that, that toy we had when we were kids where you got the two soup cans put the string in between them and whenever you let that string get loose well you couldn't hear anything you had to have you kind of had to have just enough contact on that string to make it taut so that when you talked into that can the person that was far away could hear you you know i use that example all the time and all of my kids look at me like what are you talking about (laughs) And I'm like, soup comes in a plastic box now. I know. Yeah, like none of my analogies work. I'm like starting to feel old. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, I get a lot of questions about this too, especially when I was uh, working with a North American Western dressage and getting their rule book up and running. Um, Mm -hmm. Because they, they don't do competitions like under their own set of rules, I don't believe anymore. Um, but okay. but at the time, they were moving towards becoming the Western Dressage. Rec- I'm sorry, the Western Dressage recognized f- affiliate for mm-hmm. the United States Equestrian Federation. So we had to have like their complete rule book and our list of tests and all that. Right. And oh boy, we got into so many different conversations about how to define contact because in a snaffle bit you would have a straight line from your elbow to the bit and uh, uh, that feel in your hand would be created by the straight line of the rein, exactly how you described with the soup can. Right. But if you're riding in a curb bit with a very weighted rein, you can't have direct contact like that. I mean, your horse would like flip over. Right. (laughs) Running backwards at 90 miles an hour. So when you have a curb bit... And a weighted rain, everything is amplified. So all of a sudden, that draped rain can have a very strong feel through it, even though mm-hmm. um, it's the rain is not tight, or Got I it. shouldn't even say tight, straight. Yeah, because if you pick up on that rain, that that puts pressure on it, and the horse is supposed to respond, do something right. when you when he gets that signal. Mm-hmm. Yep. So contact is is not like the guardrail. It's like the line on the road that the horse can feel where they're supposed to be without crashing into that hard feel on both sides of them. Now, the um, in a snaffle bit, a lot of trainers that I've seen will use, uh, you know, they'll, they'll kind of put contact on that bit. And then when the horse gives, they release. Mm-hmm. So the horse kind of learns that when he picks up on that bit, I'm going to release. Mm-hmm. But then how do you develop that to the next stage where you maintain a little bit of that contact? Well, it, it depends on how you're defining contact. So before I answer that question, I want to make sure I understand it. So contact to me doesn't mean pulling. You're not giving the horse an aid at all. It's just the feeling. So um, think of it like holding someone's hand. And then going to take them for a walk. When you want them to respond, then you start picking up on their hand and kind of pulling them along. When they start walking with you, you're still holding their hand, but you're not pulling. 
So to me, contact isn't the aid. It's just the feeling of connection. So if I have contact with my horse's mouth on both sides and I want my Mm -hmm. horse to say, bend to the right, I might pick up a little bit of pressure on my inside rein, my right rein, to ask the horse to give. And as soon as my horse gives, I go back to that soft feel of just the contact and not a pull. Got it. Does that make okay. sense? Now, if you are riding in a, a, a curb bit or you are riding with, say, slobber straps with mm-hmm. um, like a Makati rein, your contact sure. is going to happen when the rein is looser. So you pick it up to give your aid and then you go back to contact. So I, I think that I, w- I just want to make that real clear clear about the release because you're not releasing to nothing you're not releasing to complete emptiness where the horse can't feel you and your horse can't you know you can't feel your horse it goes back to just the lines on the road does that make sense it does okay and it's something that that i've personally struggled with because i tend to ride on an extremely loose rein and Mm -hmm. um, trainers always get on to me shorten your reins to me it has really nothing to do with reins at all it has to do with clear lines of communication and Mm -hmm. like like i also man i dabble in so many different things um but i i do a lot of what most people would consider to be trick riding as well. Like I, you know, I ride my horses bareback and bridleless all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- one of my horses, I, I've probably ridden her in a bridle five times in her whole life. Um, <laughs> and people say, well, how do you have contact with that horse when you don't even have reins in your hands? Well, just because I don't have a rein in my hand doesn't mean that my horse can't feel me and I can't feel my horse. It's just a lot smaller. Right. You know, so your contact becomes through your seat and through your legs instead of with your hands. So it, I, I don't know. It's just people are so stuck on contact having to do with how tight your rein is. And it, it really has nothing to do with that at all. It has to do Got with it. can you feel your horse and can your horse feel you? And is your horse seeking contact with you? And are you seeking contact with your horse? That's the quality of what connection and contact means. Now, was that the top of the pyramid? Nope. But it's, oh, there's more. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> but wait. <laughs> yes. However, I will say that um, I refer to that stage, contact, as mm-hmm. I call it the first gift. Because you can't go out, get on your horse, and go, I'm going to get contact today. I'm going to do contact exercises. Right. Contact is a result of the quality of the three stages below it. If you have great rhythm and relaxation, great lateral balance and flexibility, and great longitudinal balance and flexibility, it just falls out of the sky. It, the, it just the happens. The contact. It, yeah, it oh. just happens. Your horse all of a sudden is like, you know, I really like you. I just love these hands. <laughs> you know, <laughs> There's a lot of trainers that I watched as I was growing up and I thought, man, how do you do this? This person is like a magician. They just get on the horse and the horse is like, okay, <laughs> I'll do that. Yes, it's like they're just yeah. hypnotized. And it's, it's because they're not working on the problem, you know, that, 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 that you see. They're, to them, the problem is a symptom. They go back and they work on these small foundation problems that you think aren't even related at all. And it turns out right. that it really, it, 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 those problems down in the bottom, they're like a cancer. They just seep into everything. Mm-hmm. And they go back and they see that problem for what it really is. And then all of a sudden, boom, there you go, problem solved. And then it's like they never even worked on it. It's just gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dominoes. It's almost yeah. like a domino. They, it's they exactly. fix that first and then the other stuff just falls away. Yep. Fascinating. So once you get through the contact stage, then you go to the, the last three, which are impulsion, straightness, and then collection. Impulsion is the horse's desire to move forward. And not to get too, you know, technical, but like the, the textbook definition is it, it, that impulsion occurs when energy stored by the engagement of the hindquarters 
is released through thrust of the hind legs. When you engage the horse, what happens is their hind legs reach farther up underneath their body towards their center of gravity. And then when they move forward off of it, it they have like a thrusting, pushing motion towards the front, you know, like to propel themselves forward, like someone diving off of a diving board, for example. Right. Got okay. it. Or, or like a rocket, you know, okay. And impulsion is really, really fun if you have the rhythm, relaxation, lateral and longitudinal balance and contact. It is utterly terrifying if you don't have those things. If impulsion happens where it is out of control, that is not fun. When the horse develops impulsion, they naturally go straighter. And that's how dressage riders mostly, of course, I don't want to speak for everybody or I will have right. you know, a bunch of nasty <laughs> emails tomorrow, but, um, but it develops straightness. Again, it's kind of like that. What came first, the chicken or the egg? But mm-hmm. like, it, it, have you, you ever watched thoroughbred racing? Mm-hmm. You ever seen yeah. a crooked racehorse? Not one that's successful. Right. They don't win because <laughs> they're <laughs> all over the track, you know? So, um, when, they get straight, they go fast. They, they, I shouldn't say fast. When they go straight, they propel themselves forward equally and efficiently. Right. And likewise, if they're moving forward equally and efficiently, they go straight. Dressage riders generally, I have to say that generally, (laughs) 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 qualify Um, everything. Exactly. Um, create impulsion in order to create straightness. And then once that happens, collection becomes possible, which, of course, is like the Shangri-La of everything. And it doesn't matter what discipline that you ride. It doesn't matter what saddle you ride in or what arena you want to win the blue ribbons in. You have to have these things or it just looks manufactured and ugly. If someone's going to get into Western dressage, where's a good place for them to start? If they want to get into Western Dressage, the the best resources are the Western Dressage Association of America Mm -hmm. or North American Western Dressage or Cowboy Dressage. Um, And I get questions about this all the time because this kind of gets really confusing um, that there's all these different uh, associations and clubs and so on. And and there may be some that I'm missing. I don't know. They're kind of popping up all over the place because it's getting very popular. The Western Dressage Association of America is the United States Equestrian Federation recognized for the sport. That means that they are the organization that manages what the sport is judged on, how the shows are going to go, and, and so on. So if you're interested in showing in Western Dressage, that would be an incredible resource. They have all sorts of information okay. on their website about you know, just informational articles and helpful tips and videos and so on. And they also have a list of instructors and trainers that might be in your area. Although they don't, yeah, they don't endorse specific trainers, but they do have a page where people that are instructors and trainers can put their name out there so people can find them. They also have a calendar that has horse shows that you can go and observe if you want to learn more and clinics, other educational events that you can learn more. The North American Western dressage has a lot of educational material out there as well. And then cowboy dressage. I am less familiar with what they do. I Mm -hmm. I've been following it a little bit. They also have their own competitions that they do that are outside of the United States Equestrian Federation recognized competitions. Um, but it sounds like they've got a good following too. all sorts of things going on with them and, and a lot of educational opportunities there as well. Cool. And I imagine that most people, if they're going to look into this, they would probably check out a, a trainer just to see if they, you know, how their horse handles mm-hmm. the dressage ring or to see if they've, they've got, the basic skills, first of all, to be able to even start the sport. Well, that's the great thing about Western dressage. Well, dressage in general. Like, you don't have mm-hmm. to be great at this in order to do it. I mean, heck, I made it pretty darn far with a horse 
that frankly didn't have any talent whatsoever, <laughs> you know, and I was just a little kid and I, I didn't really know much at all. It, it starts very, very basic. You, if you can walk and trot or jog and do a circle, stop when you're supposed to, you can do this. It, it's, it's cool. very, very easy. I, I will say though, there are a lot of people that I talk to about dressage or say that I really like dressage and they go, Oh, that's so boring. <laughs> it's just circles and blah, you know, and, but it's, it's foundation work. So that you can move up that exactly. pyramid. That it's, it's, it's a step-by-step process. Exactly. I kind of like that, that philosophy. A lot of people do because it's just, it's step-by-step. Uh, like you don't have to have a, a great horse or a, you know, $3,000 saddle or whatever to try it. You just, mm-hmm. you just go out and, and give it a shot with what you have. And the more I learn about horsemanship, the more, uh, when I observe how people interact with their horses, particularly people that are relatively new to mm-hmm. horses, I see them trying to jump too far too fast that horses learn in just really small steps and if you're willing to take those steps you'll progress quickly through your horsemanship and your horse will get better quickly but if you start trying to do too many things too fast and you don't have that foundation Mm -hmm. you tend to get lost and then your horse tends to get frustrated and then when your horse is frustrated you're frustrated and 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 the whole thing just starts to break down And then people quit or they sell their horse and they get a different horse and they have the same thing happen again. And in my mind, it's not about people being impatient. It's just a mm-hmm. lack of understanding and knowledge. You know, um, yes. yes. here's a really good example. Okay, so my mom doesn't know anything about what I do really at all. Like she still doesn't understand what a posting diagonal is. And I've been trying to explain it to her for 25 years. Um, <laughs> You know, but we used to go to horse shows all the time. You know, when I was a kid, she'd come and watch. She didn't really know what she was looking at, but, you know, that's my kid. Good job. (laughs) And we were watching, I think it was a Western riding class, which was, it's kind of like a pleasure class, but they go through a pattern and they do lead changes and so on. And my mom wouldn't know a flying lead change you know, from a hole in the ground, but we're sitting there watching the class and, and they're placing it. And she goes, I get it. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, the ones that lope the slowest and have their head down the best, those are the ones that win. (laughs) And, you know, the thing that I thought was, you know, to an outsider's perspective, I can see how you would see that. That's how, you know, the one that slides the farthest gets the blue ribbon. The one that right. spins the fastest gets the blue ribbon. The one that jumps the highest gets the blue ribbon. And when you're a beginner or new at this and you look at what the expectation is for the sport that you want to do, that's all you see. You, you don't see the cake. You see the icing on the cake. Right. And so you go home and you get all excited and you saddle your horse up and you go, okay, Honey, we we're doing we got to slide real far today, because <laughs> so they don't see that, and the the horses that are doing this the best have the proper foundation. Right. You know, I, I um, I still, as far as I know, I, I'm sure now that this is out there online, I'm I'm gonna get. Uh, uh, corrected on this, but I, I believe that I still hold the Alaska state record for keyhole. <laughs> and I did that on my dressage horse <laughs> oh, God. because we had impulsion that was able to be contained. I was able to stay straight. Uh-huh. I was able to stop him very accurately when I wanted him to stop and I could turn him faster and more efficiently than anybody else in my class. Cool. Now, now tell us, just for my audience that may not know what a keyhole okay. is, let's give them a and and where where it occurs and and how well, you. Well, it's it. a game. It's a speed game, and uh, there's uh-huh. a couple of different ways that you can play it. But the way that we played it is we we put four poles, and I I think they were, uh, eight, eight or ten feet apart or something like a square, and mm-hmm. you race down. You go through the four poles, kind of like a hallway. Turn around 
come right back without touching the poles. Got it. So you have to have pretty good control. Uh, yes. And what happens if you touch the pole? Uh, it's fine if you touch it. You just can't knock it down. And they're they're pretty okay, tipsy. Got so you got to be pretty careful. So, yeah, it just required a lot of accuracy. And, of course, all the kids, all the other kids that wanted to get really good at it, what did they practice? Racing around their field as fast as they can. And then let's see how fast we can stop, you know, and cram on the horse's yeah. mouth and, and race around the other way. It, and it wasn't about that at all. It isn't about going fast. It isn't about how fast you can yank your horse's face around. It was about getting your horse to move efficiently. So it, it, this is just something that you can use as a, another tool to improve your horsemanship. That's absolutely correct. Now, as we wind this thing down, Jennifer, uh, I usually like to try to end this show with something that people can take with them. They, you know, A lot of times people will listen to the podcast while they're riding their horses mm-hmm. or doing things like that. Give them some sort of uh, piece of advice that they can take with them to use on their horse. So you're a horse trainer and you see people in a day on a daily mm-hmm. basis, something that you might feel they that the, the average person struggles with that there may not necessarily be an easy fix, but there's a fix if someone has a tip to work. Sure. On. Well, if you take a, a very complicated movement. So let's say like a a flying lead change or doing a pivot in horsemanship or backing your horse through a gate, whatever it is that you feel like you're struggling with, Mm -hmm. you take all of the elements of that. So let's say, um, say backing around a barrel. That's a perfect example. Okay. So if you want to back your horse around a barrel, there's a couple things that you've got to have. There's a lot of things you've got to have. Number, Number one, you have to have a horse that's willing to hear you. You have to have some contact there. Your horse has to have effective lines of communication with you. You have to have elective, I'm sorry, effective communication lines with it in order to even communicate what it is that you're trying to do. Number two, your horse has to be able to yield appropriately to pressure. So if I want my horse to back, for example, I have to be able to apply pressure in a way that the horse is going to move away from that pressure in order to get the release. Very, very simple stuff. If I want to back my horse in the circle, well, I have to have control of the horse's hindquarters laterally. I have to be able to put my leg on and have my horse yield to that kind of pressure. I have to have a horse that can take a step and then stop and wait for further instruction. You know, you ever start to back a horse and they're like, okay, I can do that. And off they go. Because you're trying to do something that's very particular. You have to be able to move one step at a time, which means you have to have very good control over your horse's rhythm. Right. You have to. So all of that, we just broke that down into having a rhythm and relaxation element, a lateral Mm -hmm. element and a longitudinal element in order to get your horse to back up. If any of those pieces are broken, it won't work. And yet how, you know, I've seen, I've done it, man. I've done it. I've been out there going, okay, I want to metaphorically back my horse around this metaphorical barrel and Mm -hmm. I'll be out there till midnight. We've all done it. Going around in circles circles. thinking the more I do this, the better it's going to get. Horses learn through repetition. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, my, I I used to be uh, in the orchestra and I learned a lot from, from my director and he told me something all the time. He said, practice only makes perfect when you do the practice perfectly. I think if we break things down for our horses into as small a pieces as we can, Mm -hmm. they're going to learn it. They're going to learn much quicker and more efficiently that way. And I, I kind of take that a step farther is that if I feel my horse isn't getting it, I try to find smaller pieces to break it down into so that I can, can kind of chip away at it. Well, this has been great, Jennifer. If people want to find out more about Western dressage, they can go to the North American Western dressage website. I'll have those uh, addresses in the show notes. Also the Western dressage association of america yep. 
And you're in Minnesota. If people want to find out more about Jennifer Coleman, where can they do uh, that? The best place is on my website, www.jennifercoleman.com, and that's spelled C-O-L-L-M-A-N. And that has links to my Facebook, uh, my YouTube channel, where we put up new videos every single week on all sorts of different things from you know, cult starting tips to equitation fixes and dressage tips and all sorts of different things. Well, great. Yeah, I've watched a couple of your videos. They're very fascinating. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, thanks for joining us on the Woe Podcast today. It's been a, fun, a lot of fun talking yeah, to you, Jennifer. Yeah, a lot of fun for me, too. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. That'll do it for this show. Thanks to Jennifer Coleman for sharing some key horsemanship skills we all could use. I'll have all the links mentioned in this episode in the show notes at woepodcast.com. Thanks to everyone who has signed up for our free helpful horse tip email. It's kind of fun to say. You can join our mailing list at woepodcast.com. Every Friday, I'll send you a quick tip, something you can do to build a better relationship with your horse with just a few minutes practice. Remember, if you want to learn more about horses and horsemanship, check out our other episodes. There's a bunch. You can also find a link to our YouTube channel about our life with horses, dogs, cats, cows, and travel. Some are helpful. Some are just incredibly silly. Subscribe to the Woe Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You'll never miss an episode. Woe Podcast is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Take us along when you ride or have chores to do. We're going to continue the What I Wish I Knew Then series for a few weeks. What do you know now about horses that you wished you knew way back when? Do you have some special tip or a story about your horse? We've set up a Google Voice number for you. Tell us your first name and where you live. Of course, we would like to have your horse's name too. Here's the number. Sorry, it's not toll free, but with cell phones these days, can't cost much anyway. 661-368-5530. That's 661-368-5530. It's in the show notes too. Your voice will be recorded and I'll throw your tip, trick, and tales to our hundreds of other horse owners who would love to hear it. If you want to let me know what you like best or least about the show, I would love to hear that too. Just send them to john at woepodcast.com. Thanks again for listening to the show and sharing this podcast with your friends and riding buddies. So until next time, this is John Hare saying, go have some fun with your horses. <laughs>